Well, if you're here for the uh, Matthew 33 passage of scripture, seek first the kingdom of parenting. Is that the class you signed up for? Yeah. I mean, I'll teach you whatever you want. I mean, we got, you know, sports and athletics, we can do that or something else. But if you're here for the parenting class, you're in the right place. Amen. So uh, I did want to uh, introduce my wife, Averly and I. Uh, her name is Averly. My name is not, or that's not Averly and I, that's just Averly. Come on. Um, we've been married for 39, going on 40 years. Uh, we have raised three kids, three boys. Uh, my oldest son, Jeff, is the conference uh, Amen. director. Yeah, I was trying to think what the grand name was. You seen him up there yesterday. Yeah. So I'm famous because he's famous, which is really cool. That's what you want when you're a parent, isn't it? Ultimately, you want your kids to do better than you. Yeah. So I'm underneath pushing the wind, blowing under his wings, wherever we got to do to get him airborne. And then I've got two other sons, one's in New York, and then I've got a third son, Jared. Uh, who is uh, responsible for all the graphics that you have here. He's a graphic design, works for a uh, firm up in uh, Richmond doing advertising, faithful disciple, he's awesome as well. Uh, so I let my wife share a little bit on the intro side of things. We have these three grown men children, and they're always your children, no matter how they are. They still call me when they get sick. And a couple weeks ago, one of them sent me a, because I'm a nurse, one of them sent me a picture on his cell phone in his throat. <laughs> you think I have strep throat? I'm like, dude, you have health insurance now. You're grown up. Go to the doctor. Uh, that would be charity. But anyway, along with these three men, uh, grown men children, we have three awesome daughters in there. And uh, I used to beg God for girls. And uh, he just said, no, not going to do this. So now I have three wonderful girls, and they won't let me dress them up, but they're still awesome. I love them. We have two grandsons, and I don't think there's any other grandparents in here, so I'll just make a blanket statement. Oh, sorry, sister. But my grandsons are the most amazing children on the planet. And uh, so they're nine and seven, and just a total joy. That's awesome. Well, let's, let's do turn over to Matthew 6.33, and I know you're in the conference, and if you got a phone do it, if you got a regular Bible, uh, I think you're really cool. Uh, <laughs> Amen. Amen. We have a heckler on the front row. We do, yeah. Sarah Wigman is either our younger sister or one of our older daughters, I'm not sure we've known her forever today. Uh, she's given us all the trouble of a real child and all the joy, so it's great to have so Matthew 6, 33, you're all aware of this uh, passage of Scripture, and it's really in, in red, if you've got one of those Bibles, it says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, if you've been around the kingdom for any length of time, you've probably heard this passage. And uh, that's the challenge for us, particularly get into the parenting side of the dynamic is, when you're young and you're single and you get a call from the pulpit to go to India, you know you really hear that urge and you go, man, I should do that. That's maybe before I get to be older and married and have kids, I should go. And you know, you take a half step right towards the front and go, oh no, I shouldn't do that. Then you, then you confess your cowardice. Well then, you start having kids and all of a sudden the world tends to change. And you really, believe it or not, start tending towards safety, don't you? And those of us, I know all of you in here probably have kids, but your priorities tend to tend to shift. Much of that's by nature, some of it's by culture, and away you go. But uh, at the end of the day, you and I still need to be obedient to this passage of Scripture. And so I hope, and I think that the reason you're here today is because you're trying to figure out 
how to balance this radical call to putting his kingdom first, his righteousness first, in all of you, do, all that you do. In fact, put it in front of your own children, which is what the Bible is calling us to do. Radical, radical concept from the world's point of view. And I think to begin with, what I'd like to do is sort of demonstrate a point for you here. If you have a, uh, a hopefully you got a notebook, or if you're taking notes on your phone, uh, I'm going to ask you two questions, and I'll write you, give out the top three or four answers here to this question here. If you were to ask your neighbors, uh, your family members who were non disciples, maybe a PTA mom or a PTA dad, uh, exactly what is good parenting? What would be their definition of good parenting? Write a real succinct one, two, three for that for me real quickly on your, uh, on your piece of paper, electronic device, whatever you're carrying. And if you want, God already done something came to mind. Again, we're talking to a non-Christian parent. Put your hand up. Just tell me what they would say, what they would define as good parenting. Raises successful children. Raises successful children. Okay. Yeah, Brian. Polite kids, right? Providing. The kids provide. No, no. I thought you said parenting. So yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, you pro provide for your kids. Okay, got it. Yeah, awesome. Okay, got it. All right, that's good. Yeah. Happy and healthy. Happy and healthy. That's the teacher in the back. Yeah, bro. Happy and healthy. Yeah, those are the kinds of things. Yeah, sure. If they make it to age 18. Yeah, I hear you. Well, that's awesome. And then I think probably uh, when we think about the other side of the coin of, and you've answered this sort of already in one sense, but again, if you ask maybe your neighbor, or who else would you want to ask? Your family? Your co-workers? Uh, what's the definition of a good kid? If he comes out of the pipeline, she comes out of the pipeline at 18, and they go, wow, you raised a good child. What would be the qualities that you'd see there? Many of them the same already, right? Yeah, other answers? Following direction. Following direction, all right. So they're obedient, that's a good one, yeah. College graduate. College graduate, yeah, that's right. Now again, this is what our coworkers would say, right? Yeah. They're well disciplined, yeah. All right, great. Now, uh, yes, man, you got another one? I was just gonna say self-sufficient. Self-sufficient, okay, very good. Now let's look at a passage of scripture I want us to take a peek at. Look at Luke chapter 16 while we got our Bibles open. And I want to share with you a little bit of my own personal theology, if you will, and I'm not going to mandate you to subscribe to this, although I think it's probably mostly, if not always, true. You know, Matthew 16, uh, Jesus, as usual, having a dialogue with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, not going well. I think what he shares and teaches is one perspective. They tend to have another worldview, don't they? And so there's always this friction between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees over worldview. This is what his discussions were about. And he ended up talking about this idea of money. And in chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus brings it on home, and he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So we got these contrasts that are there. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. That's like a real jerky kind of a scripture where you stop when you read your quiet time. I call it a toe stubble. 
what do you call them, honey? Jerky. Jerky. Yeah, you read quiet time. But I mean, it's kind of like you're startled. You go, whoa, did Jesus really say that? That what people value highly, God despises. It's easy here to point to money, although I've got to be honest with you, most of us in this room, and I don't know your personal financial situation, but we're all pretty doggone rich. And I think we look at that sometimes and go, man, do I love money? I seem to be chasing that. But here he's using that as an example. And I would put forward to you that the view of the world and the view of God, in my mind, I always start with the assumption they're 180 degrees out. They're completely different from one another. What the world values, God despises. And what God values, the world despises. Got an example of that? You don't? Okay. Michael, we have stuff to share here. You know, to me, the examples are going to be real clearly business success is something that the world values. Right. And honestly, if you ask your, your, your coworker, your PTA people what a successful child would be, aren't they the ones that are sitting there going like, my son became a doctor. <laughs> my son's an attorney. My son's got a big house. My son is an airline pilot. My, my daughter, you know, she's, a, she's an accomplished physician. Yeah. My daughter, you hear where I'm going with all that. They see worldly success as kind of the end thing. This idea of surviving until they get out of the house, you know, that's sort of funny on the one hand, but they really want to see that. They want to, have, they want to coddle, hold their kids together, protect them as much as they can until they finally fly, and then hopefully even then, you know, with parental help, all the way through college, we'll get them to the finish line. We've got to really start with this idea here that maybe what the world values, even in parenting, is opposite of what God values. You're right on the same three by five card. What God would want for your children to name them successful. Think about that. Write that one down for a minute. If I'm standing in heaven and God tells me you did a great job, Joe. You did a great job, Sally, raising your child. You tell me what it is that God would say. Well done, good and faithful servant. If you want to turn over to, uh, um, well, no, no, let's, let's bring them up. We'll go to the scripture next. Uh, anybody want to share what they think God would say was a good job raising your kids? Humility. Oh, 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 humility. So before we go to the next one, you guys got some great answers. Why is that opposite than what the world teaches is a successful child? You know where I'm going with that, right? Doesn't all of the parenting advice that you've seen in the world talk about nothing but pride? It literally is pride. It's like your child is special. Your child can do this. He's number one. If he's not number one, he's pretty doggone close. And even if he's not even close, I'm going to tell him he's number one because i got to build up his self-esteem and make him that proud. i got news for you. Parenting advice number one, you don't need to teach your kid to be proud. You don't. Why parents feel that way, I do not know. But you don't need to teach your kids to be proud. Okay? Other ideas? Yes, sir. Loving God. Loving God. Yeah, how many of your worldly friends say that's even on the list of things that define a successful kid? And quite frankly, that's the biggest challenge of all, isn't it? Teach your kid to love God. You need to star that one, circle it, and say, that's my number one thing. Again, back to the other side of this thing, quick parenting advice. You know, this is kind of the point we'll get to later on. Is, is that what you really think is a priority in your home? Yeah. Teach your kids to love God. All right, other, other ideas. Yes? Serving others. Serving others. Okay. Yeah. Having a healthy fear of God. Again, doesn't the world... So you see how my theology kind of holds. And I, I like this because I start with this as a baseline. Not always true. 
kindness, you know, generosity, those are worldly virtues that are from God. I get that. But I always start with this baseline of like, okay, if you're telling me that, I'm going to assume that it's opposite of what God wants. And I'm going to figure it out first. Okay? Uh, one more. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, somebody else wants to share. Yes, sir. Brian? Telling the truth. Telling the truth. That's awesome. Great. Successful parenting. How about living the truth? There you go. Telling the truth is one thing. I think living the truth is something different. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 19. Another passage to kind of reinforce what we're getting at. Sarah, do you want to read that one? Sure. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Very good. All right. Real simple text. We read it. We've kind of glossed over it. I want you to consider it in the light of parenting. Because it was passed on as wisdom out there in the world. Oftentimes, God sees its foolishness. When you, right now, raising your children, are sub subjected to so much worldly pressure about how to raise your kids and what's going to define it. And trust me, we'll share some successes and some failures here in a second. No one's immune to those pressures. We all go to the bus stop. We all have our kids in sports. We all have our kids doing this or that event. We're all having our kids in the play. We all think our kids are the best. That's part of the nurture that God put into your heart. But this point in the class is for us to understand that those pressures sometimes, I would suggest to you, start with the baseline idea that it's opposite of what God's will is. Mm -hmm. Foolishness. Yeah, so the, the main point of the class here today is to uh, for us to offer our experiences, um, good and mostly bad, um, with parenting. Um, three, two of our boys are disciples. One is still on his journey, and uh, but they're all awesome young men. Um, I think too we want to help you walk away and say, okay, practically speaking, how can I? parent in a way that seeks God's kingdom first. Amen. Amen. Yeah, uh, I share with you, Jeff is here, you know, did the class. Uh, Jared, my younger one, does the graphics. You've seen that here. My middle son, Eric, uh, boy, it's been a while now. He left the church, what, six, seven years ago? Eight years ago. Now, the blessing for me, for my wife, but more for me was um, I actually worked with my middle son. He came to work for me. And I worked with him the last five years. He just moved to New York. So I saw him every day at work. And I can tell you what a blessing it is. And he's still not faithful to God. He hasn't figured that out just yet. I'm faithful that God will. Um, but I'm so grateful for what God has blessed me with, having my son with me. And we still work together because we're in the same industry. But he took a promotion and moved up to New York City. So anyway, I offer that to you. If you have kids in the room here that maybe you're struggling with their faith, maybe you've got kids that aren't faithful still. That's kind of where we're coming from. We got three points for you today. This is the custom in Hampton Roads. That's just him. So these are three quick points to help you in this uh, this idea of parenting for kingdom first parenting. Um, I think one is you've got to listen, live, and teach the Bible. Okay, listen to the Bible. You've got to live the Bible. You've got to teach the Bible to your kids. And I think. That for most of you in the room, I'm looking around, guessing at the age group, and knowing kind of when this, this, this pressure starts to build here, you probably have older kids. 
So we're not so much talking about, uh, you know, picture Bibles, kind of like having some fun, although uh, we do need to do that, but they're older kids. And some of the things that you already shared that you felt were godly qualities or traits that they need to have, this is those meaningful years that you're supposed to teach those. And what, what is it? Is it the age of 6, 6 to 18? Is it 7, 8 to 18? When they really start to become more mature and they, they, they grow out of this idea of they just want to have fun, but they, they start to have serious questions. How many of you guys have kids in that 8 to 18 age group? Yeah, perfect. So, so I, I hit it right on the head. Yeah, at 10, a, a switch flips and something happens. And all of a sudden, you're not the greatest thing on earth. And uh, the uh, market of all wisdom. So <laughs> these are golden years until, and, and don't get me wrong, it's awesome after 10, but there's a little bit more of a challenge. So um, I think for me, just thinking about Bill's point, live, um, listen, and, and um, teach the Bible. For me, one of the biggest things en uh, encompassed in there is my quiet time. If my boys didn't see me having my quiet time, and even now as adults when they come home, and even my son that doesn't um, worship God, in the way that we do anymore, uh, they see me having my quiet time, and they know that that's not the time to interrupt. They see me having my prayer time, and they understand this is important. Even when they're two and three years old, I would give them like little toys. You sit over there and draw, draw me a picture of Jesus, okay? And then I'm over here praying, you know. But um, they knew not to interrupt for that. And it makes a huge difference in your children. We have a young married couple. Bill and I shepherd the teens, the teen workers, and the teen families here in Hampton Roads Church. And we have all these young marrieds that are our teen workers, which is a blast because it keeps us young. But um, we have a brother in there. His name is Josh Green. And he fell away in high school and was restored right after high school. And now he's married to an amazing disciple. But he said that he can remember I think he was like a sophomore, freshman. He can remember coming down the steps at 4 in the morning because he was an athlete in high school and seeing his dad on his knees in the dark and he could hear him crying and hear him begging God for his son's restoration. And he said, that is one of the things that really stuck in my heart the deepest that called me back to God. So your children seeing you having your quiet time and your prayer time is crucial. Amen. Yeah. And if I wanted to... Um, and that, that really is a, a great story. And Josh and his wife, are, they're awesome. We're grateful to have the team ministry. If you go back to our introductory thoughts and Bill Trump's theology, for lack of a better word for it, this idea of that if we start with the baseline, that probably what I'm being fed by the world is opposite of God's will. There, there's an urgency for you to get into your Bible. You, you, you really need to know what it is. I mean, even the idea that I can... Seek God's righteousness and His kingdom first without understanding how it works. You know, it doesn't make sense, does it? For, for generations, uh, Abraham in the Old Testament has been known as the father of faith. And he has been an inspiration to generations of Christians and Jews alike over, over since Abraham lived. And why is that? It's because Abraham, you know, when you read through Genesis, uh, you find a man who's committed to doing the will of God. We, we, we know he gets called it Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur was a big city, had a ziggurat, place of worship, municipal areas, had schools there. Uh, I don't know if he always had been this nomadic guy that we see him later on in the book of Genesis. 
But he, he picks up and he leaves, and he leaves with his parents, and goes up to a, another town, settles in Haran. Father dies, and God's call comes and asks him to, to move him and his family and all of his servants and his flocks and move them down to, to, to Canaan, where God ultimately would give the Israelites that special land, you know, as Israel. What, what a great study for you to read about submitting to God's will and living out a kingdom-first theology, even when there might be opposition. Might be opposition from a wife? No, I don't think so. We lived 21 times. There was no opposition. Yeah, 21 times. And there was a day when um, I drove the uh, moving van with a stick shift across the mountains in California. They call it the grapevine from San Francisco to Los Angeles because Bill had his right foot in a cast. And he didn't want to pull over and stop. So illegally, yes, it was illegal. I was breastfeeding. Not in those days. Ten-week-old. It's down the street, man. And I parallel parked that thing. I did. We got that house. I parallel parked that thing. No opposition from the white here. So if Abraham was married to an awesome sister like I am, life is good. I did not laugh at God. You did not. You did not. But see, we got asked to move in the ministry. We were up in San Francisco. We were full-time in the ministry. They said, hey, you got to come out of the full-time ministry. We want you to plant the church, help plant the church down in Los Angeles. So we want you to move to Los Angeles. So we ended up uh, moving from L.A. And they said, we don't have money to pay you. You need to find a job when you get down to Los Angeles. Another recession, you know how these cycles tend to go. So we're walking the streets of Los Angeles, sharing our faith. No job, nothing. And uh, there, good to see you. Um, but it's just, you know, it's incredible. When God calls you to do things, that baby yes. that she was nursing is Jared, our youngest son now, 10 weeks old. Oh, well, that's really, yeah, that's a great thing. It's awesome. But I studied out Abraham, and I see Abraham, a man, you know, he is focused on serving God first. And I think, uh, you know, the times of trial in his life when uh, there was a famine and he made the decision to go down to Egypt. You know, he's responding to, to what he thinks is best and he's trying to follow God and he does what's best even in the world. He is a father of faith. And I think he gives me courage. He gives me faith to be responsive. So when I hit the trials and the struggles in my own life yeah. as a parent, as a dad, when I have to make hard decisions, whether it's on discipline or whether it's on things that my kids think are super important, and I have to say no. Do you think any of those? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Things that we have to say no. Yep. Um, well, I wrote down things I did wrong. Oh, you want to? That's okay. <laughs> uh, we said no on a lot of things, and sometimes we probably shouldn't have said no, but we did. But they turned out okay. Um, I think for me, the, uh, one of the greatest mistakes that I made, and for those of you that have multiple children, um, I parented them, all three of them the same. And they're not the same. And uh, I didn't get that until they were older and could tell me, I'm not the same as him. And uh, one of them had a much softer heart, and yet uh, we still said no. Um, of course, you're going to say no all the time whether your heart is soft or not. But I think the tac tactic that I could have taken with him would have been a lot more gentle. And he probably would have been more receptive. So I just encourage you to spend time. And it's very time-consuming because we've done it now with our adult kids. Spend time just studying them 
and how they respond to, you know, um, like for me, as an example, uh, whenever we get a new discipleship couple, I'm like, you, especially the brother, because I'm very sensitive to men's voices being loud. Um, I'm like, you don't have to rebuke me. All you have to do, I mean, I need it sometimes, but really, my heart is one that if you just look at me and say, Arianne, I'm so disappointed in you. You got it right there, man. That's all I need. And one of my boys is like that, and I did not study that. I didn't realize that about him until he was older. So I just encourage you to spend time really studying your children. Things that I did right. You want to say that you did wrong? Yeah. Um, I agree with what Aerie is saying. You know. Um, no, I don't have time for it. You know, uh, uh, a lot of my parenting. Both were, I made the same mistake that I think many of us are all in this room are susceptible to. You know, when you think about the role model that I had as a, as a child growing up, and my parents, and my dad, and my mom, and, you know, there's a passage in First Peter we use in premarital counseling, maybe you guys have seen it, where it says, you know, you, you, you traded in your empty way of life, right, you know, for, for this, this, this kingdom, but you came from this empty way of life. And we, we, we use that to say your parents are a certain way, their marriage is a certain way, you remember this from premarital counseling? Maybe you went through this? And you, how years ago? And you are formed by that. And so much of your married life is going to be uh, revolve around what you think a good husband is or a good wife is based on what you saw in your parents, not Christian or otherwise. And the same thing holds true in parenting. And so I think this idea uh, coming from a military background, I was in the Navy for, uh, for seven years, uh, actually four years prior to that, the Naval Academy. I, I came out of a super military background. That's how my character was shaped. Uh, father aside, that's the way I view things. So to me, the idea of you know, form up and shut up, and, you know, that was kind of the way that I that I saw the world. Authority is authority. You submit to authority. I don't understand why there's a, uh, a response coming out of you other than yes, no, you know, yes sir, and no sir. That's I'll find out, sir. That was the third acceptable response. Yeah. And so this is what I expected my kids to do. So my mistakes revolved around that. Was it's like, oh man, you're misbehaving. You know, we're going to take care of business right now. And to Avery's point, I don't know that that was a good way to do it. And I think I've damaged my kids, uh, at least one or two of them specifically, because of my overzealous discipline with those guys. Now, as a Christian, the good news is I get to go back and make it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll tell you what, it's awesome. Yeah. This idea kind of go, you're in a real nervous conversation in the car, you're like, did I uh, do anything like you really thought was messed up when I was a dad? <laughs> you know, then you're kind of waiting for the response, right? And you want to hear, like, oh, you were perfect, Dad. You were awesome. No worries. But you don't get that. They, they, do, they come out with this stuff that, surprisingly, you, you had no idea that you were doing wrong. Now. Yeah. And then forgiveness is wonderful. Forgiveness is wonderful. But to reconcile the relationship, yeah. so this is the goal yeah. of what we're doing, right? You have a relationship with your adult children, not your children's children, your adult children. We'll get to that in a second. But I want to tie these two things together real quick so I can understand where we're going with it is that, uh, look, let's say 8 to 18 of the years, that's 10 years of your life. You need to take this 10 years, they're the most serious spiritual years of your life. Right now, they really are. And we talk about kingdom first in the old covenant of the, the, the international churches of Christ that meant you do anything, give up anything, go anywhere, don't care about your kids. I'm telling you that today, you got you got to lock in and lock down on what you've got to do. You only, only, only have 10 more years to influence your children. You, you may think that's a long time. It's not. You only, only, only have 10 years. 
And if you let them go by and you're not having family devotionals because you're too busy, you're blowing it, brother. If you're letting those 10 years go by and you're not sharing your faith with your kids present, you're blowing it. If you're not praying with them, if you're not teaching them about love for God, you're blowing it. You'll never get it back. I got out of the Navy specifically for that reason. I did the math. I thought I'm going to have to deploy 50% of the time. By the time they're 18, I will have lost nine years of my kid's life. Never to get it back. Never replaceable. Those nine years, I ain't doing it. And I got out of the Navy. Let me tell you, it's priceless. Don't blow it now. So you've got to layer in what we started with is the world is teaching you one thing about parenting. Please start with the premise that's 180 out from what God desires. And get into your Bible, study it, and pray it. And then go, God, you've got to reveal to me how to be a good parent. That's kingdom first disciples. Not like, hey, don't do your homework. Going to church, you know, on Sunday morning, this or that. That's all important. I'm not neglecting that. I'm just suggesting to you your role is to teach your children. Now is the time. Don't blow it. Amen? Um, just to clarify, uh, Bill made a quick statement. Good, yeah, that, that clarify. Um, yeah. Yeah, that um, back in the old days in ICOC, um, didn't care about your parents. That's true. That's, that's, right. that's not exactly true. I think the focus was way on this side, where you got to grow, 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 which is important, as we all know. And But what we don't want to do is shift all the way to this side, where it's all about our kids and the world revolves around them. You want to be right here where your children are you're living out the gospel and your children see you baptizing and they know that that's the goal for them. Amen. Well, I'll give you an example of that. Uh, maybe things that we did right. You know, we were here in Hampton Roads back in, uh, I can't remember now, one of our moves, 1997, I think it was. We were here up on the peninsula about an hour. There's a bridge spans from the peninsula where we live ran our ministry down here where we were having church. And that, that, that bridge tunnel is notorious for getting choked up. And in the summertime particularly, you know, coming back from the beach after midweek service, uh, it would typically be stopped. And you'd take you over an hour to get back home in driving the car. And so for midweek, you know, it's just a struggle. It's one of those things you do. We loaded everybody up. We took them on down to midweek service. We left midweek service, we stopped at 7-Eleven, and we were ready to get a snack. They'd have their pillows with them, we'd get stuck in the tunnel, they'd eat their snack, they'd have to go to bed, take sleep, and we'd get home at some point later on. Well, they used to change at church into their jams, so, and brush their teeth, and even though they had a snack after that, there was 95% brush. <laughs> <laughs> porcelain, right? That's the other part to it. It's more important that they learn this lesson, that we love God. That's the motive behind it. This is part of loving God. Doors, which they never knew about. If dad wants to do this, that's 
what we do. Dad is more important. Dad is my number one love that I can put my hands on. And uh, they, they, it was funny. I'm not, I'm confident, not to brag on myself, but I'm confident that that was in place because all three of them grew up and they, they couldn't wait to get married. Mm -hmm. Like, we want a wife right away, and nothing to slam on the singles, but they're like, we don't want to be in the singles ministry. We want to skip from college <laughs> to marry. And you know, um, two of them got married in college. And um, the, the uh, middle son got married last November, which was awesome. His wife was amazing. but. I just say that because they're watching you. They're watching everything you do. And if you are demonstrating that they are the center of the universe, they're going to take on that, that attitude. Amen. She did it right. I've got too many stories to share. And uh, if this was a marriage class, I'd give you some really good tips. And uh, she did them all right. That's oh, awesome. Yeah. You know, I think uh, some of the some of the other things that we, we did right, I think we think about sports teams, the proper perspective on sports, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. um, you know, we, we, we all get the pressure that somehow or another your kid is going to be an NBA star, so he's got to be on the travel yeah. basketball team in this <laughs> Sunday service, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Uh, I don't want to pretend that I'm on one side or the other. I'm only on one side, which is God first, and sports has a very limited value in your child's life. They can teach one or two qualities, which can be replicated in other endeavors other than just sports, by the way. If you say, oh, they learn teamwork, say, great, join the chorus. You know, I mean, I'm serious, right? It's not like the only thing that's going to teach teamwork. Oh, it teaches them hard work and discipline and submission. It's like, well, pick something else. I mean, that's, I'm not down on sports. I'm a sports guy. I swam in high school and college. I run marathons. I still swim. I compete. I do all. I'm a sports guy. I'm just here to tell you that I've fallen very clearly on the side of kingdom first. Sports doesn't have to fit in there. We had a young man here recently who's uh, in high school. He came back early. His, uh, his non-Christian father lives out of state. He spent some time with him. He's playing football on the team. He had to leave his dad early to come back for summer practices. He got into summer practices. He couldn't get the family to the team Devos on Friday night. And, uh, you know, the coach... Typically, overemphasizing football. This is your family. This is your brother. This is the people you die for. And he's like, that sounds completely like what church is supposed to be, not sports. Mm -hmm. And he came to me and he said, I, I, I feel awkward. Do I, do I quit the team? I'm a you know, sophomore in high school. And again, parenting mistakes when Bill was younger. Oh, I can't do that. You'll be a quitter all your life. I, I don't know what NBC TV show I saw that had that, but I, I, it's wrong. And I said, you know, if you don't quit the team, he did He's a happy disciple, great brother, doing really well spiritually, and he is uh, fruitful with his next-door neighbor who brought him out, and that guy's got a young son. So, you know, look, you know, enjoy sports. It's a great thing to do, but keep perspective. It's a fishing hole. It's a great spot to go reach out to parents. Yeah, sports is a great fishing hole. Sports, chorus, the bus stop ministry, wherever you're at with your kids and a bunch of other kids and other uh, adults moms and dads, but I know for us sports when they were little was a lot of fun, but they were only allowed to be on one sports team, you know, and it was for one season. You couldn't do two in the fall and three in the spring, because we just couldn't keep up. We had three kids, but thank goodness for our great friend here and my uh, oldest daughter, um, Sarah, 
and she would, uh, we divide and conquer, yeah. and she would take one to one team event, and we go this way, and I go that way, and she would run up and down the side of the soccer field with a sign saying, go Jared, you know, and it was, it was awesome, so if you do have multiple children, pull in the yeah. single brother, single sister, and help you out, because that teaches your children as well, that in her mind, even though they weren't her children, she was seeking first the kingdom and parenting. I mean, uh, she's in her class. She doesn't have any children, so she's still learning that and still wants to focus on that and help other young families raise their kids. So thank you very much. One final note on sports, just so that again, you know where I come from. All your kids are different. They really brought up a great point. Study them. My oldest son uh, enjoyed athletics. He played on a lot of teams in high school. My middle son is a total athlete. That's one of our connected things. We play basketball. Uh, it's awesome. Um, I, I love it. Some of the most cherished times playing ball with him even still. And my younger one couldn't care less about sports. Hated. <laughs> but the term rule was you had to be on a sports team in high school at least for one, for one, uh, one season. Yeah, so I had my younger one. I didn't care. And I'm like, Dad, you got to pick, pick one. You got to do it. This is part of the experience. He ran cross country. He did it because I made him. He had the right spiritual attitude about it. He didn't push back or kick back, but he, he did it. He got done. He said, are you happy, Dad? And I said, I'm happy. Thank you. And he says, I appreciate the, the challenge. He was resentful about it. That's the strong family rule. We have those. And amen for sports. I love them. Amen. All right. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Let's do 25. We'll, we'll bring it on home here for you. there, it's, it's also super important that your children see you sharing your faith, and that they learn how to be bold, and um, to walk up to people that are different than you, or people that are even like us, but that there's no fear in sharing about God. And uh, I know for Jeff, uh, he was, I don't know, maybe 13 or so, you know that awkward age, and he had these crazy teeth, and um, going back and forth to the orthodontist, which cost a fortune. If your kids haven't hit that area yet, save your money now. But um, yeah, and we ended up sharing together with the secretary of the orthodontic practice that he was at. She became a Christian, her husband became a Christian, and then as their children grew up and became of age to study the Bible, they both became disciples. And mind you, Jeff was not old enough or mature enough to be a disciple as he's sharing his faith with this woman. So it's really crucial that they see you and that they see yeah. that this is you're going to live it out every day. Yeah. Um, yeah, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. I know they're closing for me on that. Uh, but I do think, yeah, it's important for you to teach your kids. Yes, they need to be. Love God with all their heart. Yeah. So, amen. Um, Matthew chapter 6, and verse 25. And again, these are passages that we've already talked about a little bit. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? What are the birds of the air? They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. I, and I tell you that night, even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. That's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Well, the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
We'll stop there. 33 we've already read. So, yeah, verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has much trouble of its own. Now, I might add, as you can see, the, the, the Bill Trump theology at work in here, the same exercise. Jesus is trying to get them to understand that the pagans, the world, run after these things. They think this way. They feel that way. But you're, you're, you're a Christian. You're a disciple. You're, you don't think the way that the world thinks. You don't worry about these things. You, you worry about spiritual issues. You worry about things that are important to you, not not clothes, food, right? Any religions you want to comment on that passage? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's right. So our second point and last point today is going to be uh, parent by faith and not by fear. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, and this scripture um, actually is kind of cool. I have a little sparrow tattoo on my ankle. Yes. I, I don't have I'm any. I'm 61 years old. <laughs> <laughs> which I love. And I look at it every day and or multiple times and I think of this passage. How God, you know, he, he, I'm more important than the sparrows. And then all the other parts about worrying and how he's providing for me. But I can tell you as a uh, younger mom, I think worry was overwhelming. I don't know. Can you guys relate to that? Yeah. Women? yeah, you just worry about your kids, and I would worry about everything. Um, I think even in uh, being a disciple, I would worry about everything being perfect before I could practice hospitality. Yeah. Instead of like the people that study the Bible with us, we'd go over, we had a very nice home, it was big, we were in the world, Bill was making money before we started tithing. And uh, <laughs> which I encourage everyone to do more than ten percent. But um, we went to their tiny little one-bedroom apartment, and they served us pancakes that they made from a mix in a, in a box. And that was the dinner. And they studied the Bible with us, and I was so impacted. But then, when I, after I converted, again I went back to my worldly ways, where everything's got to be just right before people yeah. come over. And I know that that affected my. Uh, my boys. Another another thing that I worried a lot about was their safety, not just um, in sports, but their safety in life. And just a funny story about sports. I wouldn't let any of them play football. Yes, I'm still paying the price for that one. They could have been in the professional football league if I wouldn't let them. But um, I wouldn't let them play football because as a nurse, I was really worried about concussions and these dads coaching them with helmets that don't fit. So I said, no. But I let them play lacrosse. <laughs> and then I'm the woman, I'm the mom on the sideboard, and I let them play ice hockey. I'm the mom on the sideboard. Check him, check him, hit him, hit him, check him. You know, and I'm like, what in the world? And the spirit just overwhelmed me, and all the worry was gone. But I would just look like up and down like this. Another thing that I worried about was, um, uh, a fear of strangers around them, you know, and uh, I kind of wanted them on a leash, but I knew that they would be weird if I did that. So um, as Jeff got older, he was in charge of monitoring the other two, so they're riding their bikes down the road, and Jeff's behind them, you know, on his bike, <laughs> ducking behind cars, and then he'd come back and give me a report. Children, he made them get popsicles, and then he took them down the street, 
And so if they were going out for ice cream, they're like, no, wait, wait for me. And you know, yeah, I'd go out there and stand there and check inside and make sure there were no more bodies in there, you know. <laughs> what in the world? And um, I know a lot of this has to do with my growing up and experiences that happened when I was a, a young girl. But um, I say, I think for a long time, I parented out of fear and not out of faith that God was going to fulfill this scripture and I didn't need to worry that God loves my children more than even more than I do more than I do yeah so I think in close let's try to tie a lot of us together here for you is that your your faith when you studied the Bible to become a Christian in Jesus in God in his will for your life came from the scriptures you remember what it was like when you first studied the Bible and somebody actually held one gave it to you to read, you read the words off the page, and you, you understood what it said, which was a shock in itself. Yeah. And then you were challenged to apply that word and to think about it. And your faith began to really take root because of your your first time reading your Bible. Your faith in raising your kids comes from the same source. This is God's word to you and to me. And even this passage that we just read, as much as you've read it before, Maybe you haven't applied it to parenting. Maybe you haven't produced it to a three-by-five card to memorize to help combat the fear that you have about raising your kids. But this is where your faith lies. Yeah. And I think, again, starting from the beginning where we said that the world teaches one thing, God's plan is opposite of that. This is where you need reinforcement. This is where you need to learn. This is where you need to go. This is what you need to teach. This is what you need to read with your kids. This is the source. Yeah. You need to have family devotionals, right? Come you need on, to Bill. spend Monday nights with your kids teaching the Word of God as they get older. Don't stop them just because either now they're older and they say, oh, Dad, we don't want to play the little puppet games anymore. You still need to have them. You need to have Saturday morning prayer times with them. You need to have times in the Word individually. You need to study and learn your kids and figure out how to apply them like you would for any discipleship partners you may have. This is the most important 10 years in your life right now with your kids as they get ready to move out. And they're going to be out of the house before you know it. We started off talking about our goals and our aspirations and what would make a good child. It's not, are they a doctor? It's not, are they an advertising enrichment? It's, are they faithful to God? Are they people who seek God first in their life? Do they put into practice what you've demonstrated to them over the last 10 years? That's what's important. I just make final comments on it. Okay. That's one you want to share? You go ahead. You knock it out. <laughs> well, how much relates to the class? You guys got the point, right? I don't know. No, amen. But it's obvious that I was the one who parented out of fear. Bill, I, I think he parented out of faith, but some of it might have just been military and, you know, <laughs> we're going to do this. But... Um, I think for me it was super important to learn to really trust God and to trust my husband. For yeah. those sisters in the group that are married, you have to learn how to trust your husband that he's not going to take you to the beach and you're going to drown because you're not there. So he can take care of them. He can. But it might not be exactly like you were, but he is totally capable. So, um, we, and we, uh, we surfed the hurricane at Buckrow Beach a couple of years when they were younger. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah, Buckrow Beach, the bay, the waves were big. I'm at home going, 
God, bring them home. They're down there surfing the hurricane. Like the people you see on TV. I'm like, God, I just have to trust you, number one, and then my husband. And uh, I think just to end up on a funny note was um, our oldest boy, Jeff, uh, he saw me parenting out of fear and not out of faith. And so his uh, go-to line was, um, and he taught it to his younger brothers, his go-to line was, Mom, don't be a dream stealer. Uh, I'm like, okay, okay. I need to to be faithful to God. I will not steal your dreams. You still can't play football, but I'll let you play lacrosse. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your attention.